Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. Ukraine prepares for battle for Donbas where Russian forces could triple in number. Russia is concentrating its firepower on the southeast of Ukraine in a new phase of the war that could see up to three times as many Russian troops in the Donbas region. Ukraine's military, after defeating a Russian attempt to storm the capital Kyiv and forcing Russian soldiers to withdraw from across the north of the country, must now also shift their focus to reinforcing southern and eastern flanks. A number of units are already thought to be redeploying eastwards from around the Kyiv region and preparing for what is being called the Battle for Donbas. The precise timing of the new offensive is not clear. Some Western and Ukrainian sources expected it to begin imminently, as soon as the weekend just passed, but others said it could take longer for Russia to be ready. The Russians are going to have to re-equip and refurbish their units, incorporate fresh personnel and generally organize themselves to make their fresh attack a Western official said on Monday. When they will do that I don't know. It will presumably take a bit of time. Supply of weapons from Western allies all the more critical. When it comes, the next phase of the war looks set to be an even harder challenge for the Ukrainian armed forces than what they have so far endured over the past near seven weeks of war. This will especially be the case if the Russian side is able to overcome logistical challenges and draw on its superior numbers of tanks and artillery. This makes the supply from Western allies of increasingly lethal weapons all the more critical if the Ukrainian armed forces are to defeat this second wave. It's true to say that Ukraine won the battle for Kyiv. Now, another battle is coming, the battle for Donbas Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmytro Kuleba, told NBC's Meet the Press. And, of course, we are preparing to it working with our partners to get all necessary weapons, and literally basically everything that one needs to win a battle. On the wish list are items such as warplanes, tanks, anti-ship missiles and suicide drones, single-use drones, armed with explosives that can be crashed into Russian tanks, air defense systems and other weapons. Russian President Vladimir Putin may be hoping to be able to present his people with some kind of win in Ukraine by the 9th of May, the most important military date in the Russian calendar known as Victory Day, marking the surrender of Nazi Germany at the end of the Second World War. It is commemorated annually with a large military parade through Red Square in Moscow. However, Western officials are doubtful Russia's troops suffering from major losses in numbers, equipment and morale, will be able to secure any meaningful gains in such a relatively short space of time given the difficulties they have already encountered. The execution of the Russian plan has been a failure at this point and they are having to readjust a Western official said on Monday. The strategy is obviously being adjusted and diminished considerably from where they started off. Kremlin appoints new general to lead operation in Ukraine. It is likely though that Russian forces will have learned from their failures in the battle for Kyiv and will be readjusting. Moscow is said to have appointed a new general, with a reputation for brutality, to lead the operation in Ukraine, 
signaling a new attempt to coordinate Russia's attack plan better. General Alexander Dvornikov most recently led Russian forces in Syria, where they conducted a ruthless campaign against civilians in support of the Syrian troops of dictator Bashar al-Assad. Syrian forces during that time deployed chemical weapons. A second Western official said Russia will probably increase the number of soldiers it uses to target the Donbas region. It covers the regions of Luhansk and Donetsk, which Moscow declared to be independent just before launching its invasion on 24 February. The area has been a war zone for the past eight years as Russia-backed separatists have fought Ukrainian government forces but nothing like on the scale of what is anticipated. You're looking at a force which is probably, the Russians looking to double or perhaps treble the amount of force that they bring into that Donbas area the Western official said. But I would note that that is going to take some considerable time to bring themselves up to that sort of number and even when they bring themselves to that number there is a question as to how effectively they can bring those forces into the battle. It's around how you can bring the force to bear at the point of decision which is really important. The tougher the battle, though, the greater the chance that Russian forces resort to unconventional methods, such as the deployment of chemical weapons. It perhaps underlines why the UK was so quick to say on Monday night that it was urgently working with partners to try to verify details following unconfirmed reports that a chemical agent may have been used on Monday in the southern port city of Mariupol. The UK and NATO allies have said that any use by Russian of outlawed chemical weapons would change the nature of the conflict and demand a new response from the alliance and its individual member states. Hunt for gunman in gas mask who shot 10 people on New York subway. Authorities have said least 16 people were injured during the attack at the 36th Street station in Brooklyn's Sunset Park area. Five people are in a critical but stable condition, according to the New York Fire Department Commissioner. New York Police Commissioner Key Chantsuil confirmed ten people were shot but did not say how the other six people were injured. She added that none of the 16 victims suffered life-threatening injuries. The police commissioner said the attack is not being investigated as terrorism but she is not ruling out anything as the motive remains unclear. This morning, as a Manhattan-bound N-train waited to enter the 36th station, an individual on that train donned what appeared to be a gas mask. He then took a canister out of his bag and opened it Ms. Sewell told a press conference. The train at that time began to fill with smoke. He then opened fire, striking multiple people on the subway and in the platform she added. Officers are reported to be looking for a U-Haul truck with Arizona license plates as they attempt to locate the attacker. Police around New York City have been told to stop the truck if they spot it moving in traffic and detain anyone inside, according to two law enforcement officials who spoke on condition of anonymity. Ms. Sewell has described the suspect as a black male with a heavy build. He was wearing a green construction-type vest and a hooded sweatshirt when he opened fire at around 8.20 a.m. local time, 1.20 p.m. UK time, Ms. Sewell added.
Footage shows smoke billowing out of the train carriage as it pulls into the station and opens its doors, with passengers pouring out and some collapsing to the ground. Photos shared on social media show people tending to blooded passengers lying on the floor. U.S. President Joe Biden has been briefed on the developments and senior staff are in contact with the city's Mayor Eric Adams, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said. Sam Carcamo, a witness, told radio station 1010 when he saw a gigantic billow of smoke pouring out of the train once the door opened. My subway door opened into calamity. It was smoke and blood and people screaming, he said. A video captured by a bystander shows people lying on the subway platform surrounded by what appear to be small puddles of blood, as a loudspeaker announcement tells everyone to get on a train. Outside the station a police officer is heard yelling, let's go. Get out of the way. The attack took place on a subway line that runs through South Brooklyn in a neighborhood about a 15-minute train ride to Manhattan. Local schools, including Sunset Park High School across the street, were locked down. Outside the 36th Street station, in an area known for its thriving Chinatown and views of the Statue of Liberty, authorities shut down a dozen or so blocks and closed off the immediate area with yellow crime scene tape. Erdogan humiliates EU as Turkey eyes up plot slash Putin's gas. Turkey's Deputy Energy Minister Alparslan Bayraktar has stressed that Turkey can scupper ties with Putin by getting energy from local sources and securing stable supplies. The country saw its reliance on Russia soar last year, despite the share of Russian gas imports to Turkey plummeting to 33% in 2019 and 2020 from more than 60% in 2005. Turkey had managed to cut Putin's gas because of a new natural gas pipeline from Azerbaijan. It also imported liquefied natural gas from other suppliers, and invested into gas storage and renewable technologies. But in 2021, the country rebounded and got around 40% of Ankara's natural gas came from Russia. Now, Turkey has pledged to slash this dependence once again. Mr. Bayraktar said that a 20% to 25% share of imports from one single country is more reasonable. The country is keen to start developing its own natural gas following discoveries in the Black Sea. Turkey's Deputy Energy Minister Alparslan Bayraktar has stressed that Turkey can scupper ties with Putin by getting energy from local sources and securing stable supplies. The country saw its reliance on Russia soar last year, despite the share of Russian gas imports to Turkey plummeting to 33% in 2019 and 2020 from more than 60% in 2005. Turkey had managed to cut Putin's gas because of a new natural gas pipeline from Azerbaijan. These supplies are due to enter use in 2023 and reach a plateau in the 2025-26 period. And instead of importing gas from Russia, Turkey might be able to exploit its geographic position as an energy transit country. 
Turkey's energy and foreign ministers are set to discuss a cooperation on gas when they meet their counterparts in Israel in an upcoming meeting. This may even help the EU, as Turkey could bring the gas from energy-rich nations like Azerbaijan, Turkmenistan, Israel, Iran and Iraq into Europe. But he warned the EU might not be out of the mud for a while yet, stressing that the issue will remain, with Europe, until 2025-30 as there is no immediate solution to substituting Russia's energy. The EU, while considering slapping a ban on oil and gas, is yet to embargo the expensive fuel imports amid Putin's Ukraine invasion. This has sparked fury from the European Parliament, which voted overwhelmingly in favour of an immediate ban on Putin's fossil fuels. But countries like Germany, which gets 55% of its gas from Russia, and Hungary, which had stressed that oil and gas embargoes are a red line are holding the Commission back from cutting off Russia. This is despite the bloc pledging to go tougher on Putin after allegations of war crimes in the town of Bukha surfaced. Even after coming under more intense pressure to sanction Russia's gas. Germany's finance minister Christian Lindner refused to cut energy ties with Russia, warning that it is not possible to do so yet. I tried four different ways to cook a jacket potato and cheapest one wasn't the worst. There are few meals more comforting than the humble jacket potato, which works just as well as a warming lunchtime treat as it does an easy telly dinner, and when they are good, they are really good. I myself have only ever enjoyed a precious few 10 forward slash 10 baked potatoes in my time, but continue to seek out the ideal balance of crispy skin and velvety mash every single time. With this in mind, I decided to try out four popular baked potato methods, to see which was the cheapest to make, and which would taste the best. I usually opt for a large baking potato, smothering this with olive oil and crunchy sea salt after inflicting a few deep fork jabs. I then pop the oven timer on for around 1 hour and 10 minutes, wrapped in a firm layer of tin foil. Now, I've recently been told that my tinfoil use is practically sacrilege, giving the skin a bland, steamed texture and the overall dreary feel of being boiled. Curious about how to elevate my jacket potato, I tested out four popular approaches, baked with tinfoil, baked without tinfoil, boiled then baked, and, gasp, zapped in the microwave. The potatoes came from the exact same 39p packet from Morrison's, with each one filled with an identical, and unbeatable, filling of butter, cheddar, sour cream, and a splash of Tabasco. The differences at the end were pretty remarkable. Zapped in the microwave. Advice varies from 7 to 12 minutes, with some suggesting flipping it halfway through. I was initially dubious but was pleasantly surprised to find it had cooked right through after just 8 minutes on high. I cut into my zapped tatty with ease, but it wasn't quite fluffy enough for my personal liking and so I gave it an extra couple of minutes before tucking in. Thankfully, it was piping hot right the way through, although not quite as crispy on the outside as I would have hoped. It also wasn't quite as cotton candy soft as I dug deeper in, 
where the flesh was a bit firmer but not noticeably so. Still, this was more than ideal for a quick lunch on the go, and I gobbled down every time-saving bite. As per figures from the Sustit's microwave oven electricity cost calculator, it costs just over 5p to zap a spud in the micro for 10 minutes, making this a more energy-efficient approach. Boiled then baked. Many baked potato enthusiasts swear by this method, claiming that it helps loosen the skin, bringing out a satisfying crispness unlike any other. For this one, I followed the wisdom of food blogger The Foodie Patootie, who shared a boiled baked potatoes recipe all the way back in 2014 for National Potato Day. After 10 minutes of boiling, I popped my potato in the oven at 220 degrees, adding extra seasoning after 10 minutes. By this point, it had darkened considerably when compared to the others, and I naturally assumed it would cook through quite rapidly. However, after another 20 minutes had passed, I was surprised by how just how tough it was to cut into, so chucked it back in the oven for 10 minutes, then another 10. Various recipes suggest between 20 to 40 minutes, and I'd say go for longer if possible. Mine was nowhere near fluffy after a good few extra rounds in the oven, although the skin did crisp up nicely and vigorous mashing and plenty of butter softened it up somewhat. Plenty of people rave about the boiled first approach, but, personally, I couldn't taste any particular benefits and just found myself facing a bit more washing up. On average, it costs around 4p to 8.5p to use a hob for 10 minutes, and about 50p to use the oven for half an hour. This is of course before you even factor in boiling the kettle, which could cost as much as 42p per boil for a 3kW kettle. Wrapped in a little tin foil coat. For this one, I used my old tried and tested approach, whacking it in a preheated oven for an hour and ten, and lowering the temperature slightly after half an hour. Now, this was a perfectly okay jacket, but when eaten beside the one I'd shoved in bare as the day it was dug up, it stood no chance. This was a much paler, harder spud than the no-tin-foil option, and lacked the same subtle, yet distinctive, flavors. In short, it was by no means the worst baked potato I've ever had, but it didn't have me smacking my lips, and it didn't rate particularly highly in terms of fluffiness or crispiness. Unfortunately, according to engineer and inventor, Robert Mackay, who works in the field of renewable energy, there is no cheap way to cook a jacket potato, with the answer being to cook as many as the oven will hold, 50. A cooking time of 1 hour 15 minutes will see you spend about one pound and so, although you may well not be able to stomach 50 potatoes, it's worth considering popping everyone's tatties on at once. Tinfoil free method. Although I went for my trusted old timings, I found this to be significantly darker, crispier than the tinfoil version, and far more special. The flesh gave beautifully beneath my fork, like a plane passing through a cloud. It was fluffy in a dream potato sort of way, a feathery, flavorful jacket that I could have enjoyed with or without toppings. Pure bliss, and truly heavenly. 
This superior spud was the tummy equivalent of being wrapped up in my snuggliest blanket, slippers on, and beloved pet on my lap. I will be leaving my tinfoil in the drawer going forward. This, again, cost just over one pound to bake to perfection. Final verdict. The boiled then baked method, unfortunately, left me with a cold, bland, fiddly, and far less satisfying baked potato than the others, and it wasn't particularly cheap to do. Surprisingly, the purse-friendly micro-zapped potato was the second best of the bunch, surpassing my previously trusty tinfoil option in both flavor and texture. Clearly, I've been making a big mistake for years. The winner here was undoubtedly the tinfoil-free jacket potato which I'm now craving all over again despite having just demolished four full jackets. Devorous lawyer says avoid dating people with these five professions. Getting a divorce might be easier than ever after the passing of recent laws, but it's safe to say all married couples want to avoid them at least at the start. In a new video the legal expert sets out her findings from a career in the industry, advising women on the five male professions in which she's noticed the most controlling and narcissistic tendencies during the cases she's been involved in. The clip which spells out her top five professions of men that women should avoid marrying has racked up tens of thousands of likes and comments since being posted recently. Over the years it's stuck in my head and I've watched my most difficult cases, and shockingly many of them involve men in these five professions she says. While she said that it wasn't a hard and fast rule by any stretch of the imagination, it was uncanny how many times she'd come across cases with men involved in these jobs. What I've noticed in these professions is that they tend to be more narcissistic. They tend to be more controlling and when I tell you the professions you're going to see why. They tend to be far more difficult in dealing with a divorce, she added. Listing the professions, she wrote, Fireman, I've never really understood that one, but it's on there, police officer, military, surgeon and pilot. If you look at these professions, what do they all have in common? The men in these professions, they're gods in their professions. She explained her choices by added, if you're a policeman you're walking around with authority. If you're a surgeon, you're walking around the hospital and everyone looks up to you, you're in charge, everybody treats you with respect. Then you come home, and all of a sudden someone is asking you to take out the trash. I think that's a difficult transition to make. Pilots especially. If you look at pilots and you cross over to the Air Force, military, they are in control of 150 to 200 people's lives at a time. They are treated with a tremendous amount of respect and they have a lot of responsibility, and they tend to be very narcissistic and very controlling. She did however stress that there are many exceptions to the rule and that her experiences don't influence the future of any existing happy relationships. Although, if you're dating a pilot who dabbles in firefighting and is thinking about becoming a military surgeon or joining the police, you might want to consider this a red flag. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast we thank you for your support. 
We hope to see you again next time.